0: thank you brother. Tell you, brother Zach is a professional. All right, I'm going to talk about the priesthood. So let me get my composure. I'm a little little tipsy here in the spirit. All right, I can do this. So anyway, priesthood part 6. Been talking about the tabernacle and the priesthood. For the last several weeks and one of the things that i just want to mention is that god's house has got to once again get back to the book of acts model where it's a place of his presence showing up and empowering us but also that we're taking it outside the four walls to the lost and hurting and his house needs to be a house of prayer and that's what we've, we've done a lot here is do do our part to try to make this a house of prayer and a house of His presence. Well, I've been dealing with a lot of different things that have been a little different and um, from a totally different perspective. We're going to start moving out of the outer court into the holy place. This is kind of a transitional sermon, okay? Just remember where I left off last week. When God created the nation of Israel, we have to renew our minds a lot with the scripture. And I know there, there's so many traditions of men, pet doctrines, things we've heard, things that we just assume, the way we were raised, the culture we live in. There's so much that plays into our our way of thinking and God's got to get in there and clean all that out, out of all of us. And so when I say some of the things I'm saying, I know that it's going to, Some of it's going to go against traditions of men and belief systems, but when God created the nation of Israel, He created it to where there was a Sanhedrin, there was a judicial system, there were laws, but also there was a priesthood. And the priesthood dealt with not only the spiritual, but they dealt with the cleansing of individuals, they dealt with the cleansing of homes, and in that, they, they dealt with the sickness and the demonic oppression. And I know that that may be something a lot of people didn't know. like, so for example, when Jesus drove the demon out and the Pharisees were standing there, the Pharisees were a part of the priesthood of that day or whatever. But the Pharisees said, he drives out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus said, I don't have any demon, Okay. He said, I drive them out by the power of the Holy Spirit. But he said, then who do your people drive them out? Now, I not you to think about that statement. The reason why he could make that statement was because the priest, under Jewish law, even before Jesus came, when they would spiritually cleanse people, there would be healing that would happen sometimes and even deliverance that would happen sometimes. Why? Because the cleansing spiritually remove things that needed to go. And they also would clean houses. And that's all in Leviticus 13 through 14, where it talks about leprosy in the person and leprosy in the house. So I want you to understand that by no means am I against medical science or anything like that. I'm not. They're fighting the same stuff we're fighting. I'm not against it by any means. But I think that if the church would rise up in its priestly role and understand who we are and what we have available to us, I think a lot less people would be sick. I really do. I think a lot less people would be going to doctors and depending on things like that. A lot that we know of in the medical science field did not come at all from uh, the Bible or from the Judeo-Christian heritage. What it came from, it came from Greece. The um, It's just weird, the Hippocratic Oath had, they swear, you can look this up, they, they oath and swear to uh, demon gods like Jupiter, which is really weird. And the the symbol that the snakes around the pole is actually, I don't remember the Greek god that this specifically deals with, but it was like a, a mythological wand or whatever that would bring healing, that people would touch it and they would be healed. And then also prescribing medicine and all that goes back to the alchemy and so this this was something that's come in from greece made its way down into rome from rome into europe and from europe to here okay i'm not against it i'm just saying that i think that i think that if we as a church really begin to tap into understanding how to spiritually cleanse people how to bring people into a place where there's such a washing of the water of the Word, there's such a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, there's there's such a deep, profound work in people, where spirits on body, they're sanctified, I believe that that priestly ministry is going to pave the way where a lot more people are going to be um, healed and delivered of things and set free, and they're going to be walking in the freedom that Jesus wants them to have. And they won't have to go to these other things. Um, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying I believe in my heart that there's a better way. I really do. I believe that Jesus is the source. I believe that the cross was enough. And I believe that, that everything pertaining to life and godliness can be found in Him and that there's a better way. For example, too many people are having to go to psychiatrists. Did you know that, that literally the power of the Holy Spirit in the altar time can deal with a lot of those issues? It really can I've seen it. Um, People are having to run to the secular community for financial help. But, you know, God has shown us things in his word. And if we tap into um, the financial blessings and the promises, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, you can come into where here's the world's economies, but you live above that in a supernatural economy. I believe that with everything in me, that there is a heavenly economy. I do. And I believe that, you know, our homes being cleansed so many people are, are finding these weird paranormal satanic things going on and it's real there there can be demonic things in houses and places but listen instead of people turning to these goofy ghost hunter people y'all know I'm talking about you seen them they don't have a clue they go in there they got their little recorder you know and and they got their their little psychic going through there like that's gonna help you know that's just making it worse and they go through and they think and that they're cleansing the thing but in actual fact they're probably making it even worse they don't know what they're doing what would happen if the church starts rising up to be the priest we're called to be and to learn how to deal with that stuff where people quit going i remember this one guy saying that he went to his his pastor to help him because there was something in that house that was not of god and it was not of this world (laughs) That's the way he was saying and and the pastor got scared and said i don't know what to do he ended up going to these ghost hunter people but they did find as they went through the house, it had a history, before abortions were legal, it had a history of performing illegal abortions, and they even found, inside of a wall, they found some satanic stuff in there, so it was very bizarre. So that there's no doubt that God was right, there was some weird stuff in there. But why can't, as as pastors, as Christians, the Bible says we're all priests, why can't we know how to deal with that? Or people are not having to turn to the world. Amen? And I don't like it that people, some people have got to the place where they're utterly depending on medical science. Okay, We need to to learn how to put our faith and dependence on the Lord. There's a better way. I'm not saying that they're in sin or that they're wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there is a better way. And that people should not have to turn to, to secular counseling for marriage. What's available in the Scriptures is enough. There's wisdom there. And if we would really learn... How to be the priest that know the Word of God and how to teach the Word of God and how to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can bring revelation into somebody's life. And it's so it will totally change their life. Now this is not pertaining to, what I'm about to say is not really pertaining to a healing, although I've seen a lot of that um, happen through revelation. But I remember one time that years ago, my daughter has always had a beautiful voice, but I remember years ago that she at a very difficult time hearing the pitch and some of you know this story and as I was praying for her she had this uncanny ability to do impersonations I'm serious she can hear something and she can impersonate it and it can literally be anything and she can sound exactly like it and this is the last thing on my mind I'm just praying for people and when I prayed for her the Holy Spirit told me to tell her He said, What you've been using to impersonate things, the Holy Spirit says that's actually the gift in you to hear music and to sing. You've just been using it wrong. Now start using it for music. She was hit by the power. From that day till now, she has sang in tune perfectly. The revelation of the Lord, where she was saying, What is the problem? Why why am I having an issue hearing the pitch? What is the deal? I'm called to sing. Why? And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, oh, well, here you go. I would say that was more of a word of wisdom than a word of knowledge. But the Holy Spirit can highlight what is the problem. Where somebody was battling a sickness and it's stubborn, what is the problem? You know, you go through and look at things. Well, for example, anytime you're going through something, whether it's a sickness, whether it's some kind of an oppression or an issue in your life, and it's stubborn, you pray about something, you should get an answer but it's not moving it seems to be solid it seems to be like cement it's stubborn in front of you it's like a mountain in front of you and you're saying why is this thing not budging you begin to look at your life could there be any personal sin that I'm not even realizing then you look at yourself could it be that there's a possibility of unforgiveness in my life is there something generationally that I have not dealt with generational curse something like that Is there a possibility of a deliverance issue in my past? that I open myself up to something? Because I've heard of that. I've seen that in people's lives. Is there a possibility of idolatry? Is there something in my life that's more important than it should be and it's an idol? Or is there a past trauma that I need to get healed from? Because I'm going to tell you something. Past trauma can be a door. It's not the person's fault, they didn't sin, it's actually probably the sin of another that wounded them, but that wound in their heart, in their spirit, can open a door for sickness and other issues. And so you begin to be a priest, and you begin to try to diagnose what the problem is. Now these are the basics, this is where you start. But once you've exhausted all of this, and you've prayed about all this, and you've and you sought God, then you have to utterly depend on the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you know, you're just going to have to show me. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has to deal with things in layers. Sometimes this stronghold has to come down, and then the next one will come up to be dealt with, and it has to go in that systematic order. It's just the way it is. But if we will be persistent in our faith and not give up, because the problem is among a lot of denominations, when they pray about something and they don't see the results immediately that they want to see, then they will start creating doctrines out of their experience. Well, I guess God doesn't heal anymore today. I guess this, that, and then you start making up doctrines that are unbiblical, but it fits their situation to explain it away. But if we won't do that, if we'll be persistent in our faith and say, Lord, We utterly depend on you. Show us what the problem is. Help us to see what's going on. I remember one time, and this is not always the case, but but in this specific situation, David Hogan was out in. um, Sorry, he's in Mexico, the jungles of Mexico, as a missionary, and he was having some very bizarre things start happening around his house. Sickness, weird stuff was going on, and he was getting frustrated. I mean, just one thing after the other. Unexplained things. I don't remember what what all of it was, but things breaking down, breaking down, things not working, just issues coming up. And it got to the extreme that he was outside, and his son, all of a sudden, just grabs his side, screams, and falls on the ground. And so he runs over there and, and is trying to help him, and he pulls his shirt up, and there's an invisible hand that he cannot see that is squeezing his son's side. And you can see the imprints of the fingers. I mean, it's like squeezing and pulling. And he's doing like this. There's a hand there. But he's doing like this. and he. So he says, that's it. I've had enough. He went inside. And he went into prayer and fasting and sought God. And the Lord told him in fasting, after several days of prayer and fasting, the Lord told him, said, there is a, a black magic priest that's here and has been assigned to come against you directly as a missionary to stop you. You no, he got mad. And uh, if you know anything about Bird David, if you listen to any of his stories, I'm sure he went just stomping out of there. You know, where is he at? And he goes running out. <laughs> he said he said he went out of his house and was going to go down the street because he kind of had an idea where the guy was or whatever. And the guy was standing in the street waiting on him. Of course, he had a confrontation. He said, I've never talked to a man like that in my life. In Jesus name. I buy. But anyway, it, it broke. It, whatever was going on, all that spiritual warfare broke when he confronted that. And everything started clearing up. Health started clearing up. The things that were going wrong just disappeared. All that. So see, what I'm trying to say is, is that if we'll be priests and we'll seek God in worship and worship in prayer, he'll speak to us. Well, what's the problem? You know, we keep praying about something and we're not seeing the results we want to see. What is the problem? The Holy Spirit will speak to you. But we've got to have a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6 sums it up the best by saying it's not by human might or power. It's going to get done. It's by the spirit. It's going to have to be the Holy Spirit that gets the job done. And the Lord will use us as priests, a kingdom of priests, to see through us the washing of the water of the word, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And the priestly garments I've already preached on last week. There's the white righteousness, but there's the clothing of power from on high to get the job done. And I remember years ago, and I I say some things, and I think sometimes it sounds a certain way that I don't mean it. But I've made this statement where I said people that are not seeing like deliverance and things like that going on, it's probably because the anointing isn't very strong. I'm not saying that to be condescending. What I mean by that is this. There was a time I wasn't seeing that. But when the anointing increased, all of a sudden stuff I wasn't expecting just started happening. You see what I'm saying? The more the anointing increases, the more these things are going to happen. And I remember when God started doing this in my life, I was um, he called me, spoke to me. I mean, basically audibly spoke to me because he knew that normally I wouldn't do it. But there was a home out in East Texas, and it was for young ladies. And that was the, believe me when I tell you, that's the last thing I had on my mind was to go preach there. I was thinking about churches and different things. I was asking the Lord, what's this next phase in in my life and ministry where you're sending me? And he gave me that scripture in Acts where Paul and Silas, I believe, went out, and there was a whole bunch of women that were out by the river. Remember, they met with them. He gives me that scripture and says, I want you to go to such and such place. I said, you've got to be kidding me said how am I going to relate to these people I mean I honestly thought that how and the Lord said just go so I called them and being as spiritual as I was you know I was just like God told me to come if you want me to come call me here's my number Just left it at that well they called me and um, which I was surprised because I, I sounded less than enthused you know about you but as I went I obeyed the Lord and I went It was you know a whole bunch of young ladies they were from all over the nation they come, came from every type of background you could imagine, okay? Every ethnic background, all kinds of different religions. They come out of Buddhism, Hinduism. They came out of um, gangs. They came out of witchcraft. Seriously, all of it was there, all of it. You have one girl here that came from United Pentecost, and you got a Baptist, and you got somebody that's a Catholic, and you got somebody that's a Mormon, you got somebody that their family's Hindu. This was my audience, okay? And God kept me there for about two years. It was a major, major move of God that took place among those young people. But as I got to speak, the very first time I spoke, the Holy Spirit just fell. And this was a new phase, a new, a new level that was coming. And I would preach the gospel. They would cry. They would come down and get saved. And so I started praying with them. And I started seeing, because the anointing was really increasing at this time. And I started seeing things I'd never seen before. Um, as I was praying for these young ladies... Now I knew that they accepted the Lord. Okay, I knew that they were sincere about it. But while I'm praying for them, all of a sudden, you know, some of them are falling down, and they're getting up healed, and they're they're really freaking out because their body was in pain now it's not whatever. Um, also, praying for them, and all of a sudden, little Baptist girl Jamie is falling out speaking in tongues. You know, so and so had to be carried back to their dorm room. And they're throwing them like a sack of potatoes, you know, carrying them off, and um, and demons started manifesting. See that that part was relatively new. I mean, every once in a while, but I mean, it was all of a sudden it was like explosive. Okay, and I remember one funny story was there was this girl, and I'm just praying for people. I'm not, you know, like specifically trying to look for any of that. I'm just praying for people, and this girl lets this blood curdling scream hits the floor, and of course she's manifesting a demon. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, have you ever seen those old westerns where everybody disappears and the the tumbleweed comes across, and and it's there he is, the gunfighter by himself. You know what I'm talking about? I felt so alone, and yet there were so many people there, and I was trying to figure out what's going on. And I turned and looked, and all of them were behind me. Okay, you you do it, brother Scott. We're back. We got your bags. All right. They were all scared of the demon. I was like, all right so we're praying and casting it out but I remember seeing these things start to come up and God really started dealing with my heart about learning about the deliverance ministry, learning about operating in healing, learning about operating in the gifts but that is a priestly ministry to see people's lives cleansed by the blood cleansed by the washing of the water of the word and the sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost who will burn out of people the worldliness, the carnality, and the demonic. I've seen it happen, friend. But the more the anointing increased, the more that I saw that stuff. So it's the anointing that's going to make the difference. Amen? And so as priests in the Old Testament time, their job was to learn how to teach people the Word of God and how to minister to people in a way that got them cleansed and through that deep cleansing, they would be healed and delivered. I hardly ever talk about anything with, with finances, but God had laid on my heart before I get out of the outer court. That was part of it. People would bring their offerings. And I'm so thankful because I'm preaching to the choir. you know. But there's people that will hear this out there that maybe need to hear this, but you guys, all of you guys, have always been great tithers and great givers. Okay, So I'm just encouraging you that you're doing the right thing. But in the tabernacle time, the children of Israel, you always knew when people were on fire for God because the vats were overflowing at the temple. That's just the way it was. The temple was overflowing. They had extra oil there. They had extra frankincense. They had an abundance of of grain. The priest had too much because everybody was bringing it. And when the children of Israel were backslidden and away from God the tabernacle in the temple would lay in ruins. Because people quit giving. Haggai 1.4 He said he rebuked them as a prophet. He rebuked the children of Israel and said, Is it time for you, yourselves, to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the house of God, remains in ruin? And he was rebuking them like here you are focused on your house and you've neglected the house of the Lord. You guys, I know you guys are not like this, but I'm just putting this out there, that that's part of the, the temple was people would bring their offering to the Lord. And we know that the tithe, first 10% belongs to the Lord, and people would bring their tithe. But God laid it out, and I want to encourage people that are called into full-time ministry, that the Levites... Were supposed to live off of the tithe of the people that were that what was brought to them. That's what their livelihood was, and that's the way God set up that pattern. Because the the Levites, if the children of Israel were not bringing the sacrifices to the house of God, they did not have meat to eat. If the children of Israel did not bring in the grain like they're supposed to, the children of Israel. And the interesting thing was, and I say this to young ministers that. You better stay humble. But the way God set this thing up was this. The children of Israel were supposed to bring the first fruits. And it was supposed to be their best. And that's what on-fire people do that love God. They really do. They're always thinking about God first, and they bring Him their best. Well, pretty soon when that happens, the house of God is flourishing, and God blesses the leadership with the best. Now think about it. Aaron and his sons... All the nation of Israel, hundreds of thousands of families are gathering in to the house of God the best. They're gathering in their best grapes, their best olives, their, their grain. They're, they're bringing their best lambs, goats, the first fruits, and the best. And they descend to the temple with it. So now Aaron and his family have the best of the land. What has happened to a lot of preachers is is God really blesses them and then they get prideful. And I had a talk with some a young minister the other day and I was telling him because he's starting to get a name for himself and he's starting to get more known. okay. And I had a long talk with him. I'm going to tell you, there's some preachers that have got weird. okay. Now they demand that there be you know, like a $5,000 offering to just even come. $1,000 a night, They have to fly first class. They have to stay in a five-star hotel. What in the world is going on? What has happened is, is that just like the Levites, all of a sudden the best started coming, and it it got in their head that they were something special, and that they started demanding these things in their life. They got prideful. We've got to be humble. Amen? Because once the glory comes and once... People are on fire and people are being touched by God. People want to bring God their best. They really do. It happens. And God is going to bless them for doing that. And he's going to bless his house. And pretty soon the house of God is flourishing and things are, are, are beautiful and it's awesome. But as leaders, you got to stay humble before your God and realize that it has nothing to do with you. It's just the, the blessing of the Lord. And in the book of Proverbs, and I quote this, it says the blessing of the Lord will make rich and add no sorrow to it. So that happens But you've got to be humble and handle it well. Amen? So the patterns that I encourage everybody is this. Number one, I'm a tither. My wife and I always have tithed. And I thank God because I can look in my life and say, God has always rebuked the devourer, opened the heavens, poured out more blessings than there's room enough to contain. And that's just the way it is. It's wonderful. You know, you can, you know, tithers because eventually they have to have garage sales because they're overflowing, you know, and they've got to give things away. But the second is, is regarding the poor. You can do this through our church if you want, or you can do this another way. But I encourage you that you regard the poor. That is a big deal with God. Very big deal. The church, some churches have put too much of an emphasis on other things. But we need to be reaching out to the lost and the hurting. And that's why I was so encouraged, you know, to hear about the homeless ministry and going out there and giving them food and clothes or whatever you guys are giving them and and praying with them and ministering to them. But I think there's some music going, if you could check that and make sure. But anyway regarding the poor and then the next one i would encourage people also is about blessing israel just making sure that you are blessing the nation of israel that's a very big deal with god in fact it seems to show that if you will bless israel god will bless you but even in the way that you bless israel god will bless you did you hear that So if you're blessing the nation of Israel with finances, God will bless your finances. And you know, I was so encouraged because people give into our ministry and they put to Israel. And so obviously when the elders count it, they'll tell me such and such amount of money came in for Israel. And I love giving that. I really do. And the way that it's being given is that it's going out to, um, through Operation Blessing, but it's been going to Holocaust survivors in Israel Relief. These are people that are living in the nation of Israel that are Holocaust survivors that are dirt poor. And Operation Blessing as a Christian ministry has been taking them food and praying with them and ministering to them and helping to meet their needs. Many Obviously, they're elderly. And it just encouraged me so much that the finances were going to that. Amen? I believe with all my heart that touches God. All right. So let me get beyond this now and get into what I really wanted to talk about. When you went into the tabernacle, the outer court had one way in the east gate. I've already talked about this, but the Jewish people called that the way. Then you went from that into the holy place and that entranceway there was called the truth. And then there was a veil that separated the holy of holies and that veil was called the life. And that's why Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Because he is the entryway for all of that. Isn't he? And whenever you looked from the outer court, everything in the outer court was lit up by natural sunlight. And you could only see naturally. That's where a lot of the body of Christ is. They've been to the brazen altar. They've accepted Jesus. they went to the laver. They've been water baptized. And they sit around and talk about the blood. But there's more than just that. Let's get into the power of the Holy Spirit and get in the holy place. The holy place is where the revelation of the lampstand would shine. You would get out of natural sunlight, and now you were moving into spirit revelation. But as you went into that holy place and that veil there called the truth, there were five pillars that were there at the front to hold it up, which seems a bit odd. Why would there be five? Because there's going to be one right in the middle that's right in your way. But the reason why is because that represents the church age, the holy places we've talked about. And it's the fivefold ministry that holds that thing up. And I'll tell you something else that concerns me. As I'm big on Book of Acts Christianity, what has happened to the body of Christ that has something against the apostolic ministry or the prophetic ministry? What in the world? I mean, it's not like it's in some obscure place, hidden in in some book of the Bible you rarely read, You know, Philemon, some, some hidden verse there referred to some prophet or something. No, friend, it's all through the New Testament, okay? And the apostles and prophets laid the groundwork and the foundation. So the truth of the matter is we need to understand something about that. And, you know, it's interesting because it's like the body of Christ has no problem with pastors. They have no problem with evangelists and they have no problem with teachers but when you talk about the apostolic and the prophetic what's going on but without the apostolic and the prophetic the body of christ is suffering so the pattern of the tabernacle showed us that there was a fivefold ministry that held up that holy place that that which is the church age the outer court is the law of moses the fifteen hundred years the the holy place was it is the church age and then the holy of holies represents the millennial reign so during this church age the holy place where we're about to start going into in this study the fivefold ministry that is what the holy place was was held together and sustained it provided the strength and to get into that holy place you had to have that blue tunic you could not get in there without that blue tunic and that blue tunic that had the bells and pomegranates was the clothing of power from on high, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Derek Prince said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the introduction in a Christian's life, it's the introduction to the supernatural life in Christ. That's what he said, and that is true. It begins at the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because now you begin to operate in the supernatural. You're speaking now in a supernatural language, now there's supernatural power that is clothing you. And you begin to move into that supernatural life in Christ. But you couldn't get into the holy place without this blue tunic which represents that power. And this clothing of power, the bells and pomegranates, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. But as you would go in there, there would be the table of showbread, there was the altar of incense, and there was the lamp stand. And I'm going to be teaching on that. So next week I'm going to be dealing with the table of showbread, I'm going to be dealing with the power of communion And that's something that we need to know, okay? So make sure next week that you're here. But before I can get into that, let me start now getting to the end of what I want to talk about, the morning and evening sacrifice. I've been given a lot of deeper stuff through this, and I want to go ahead and kind of get into some of that. The children of Israel, every morning the the priest would offer up a morning sacrifice. And then every evening, they would offer up an evening sacrifice. It was every day. This had to be going on. So the morning and the evening sacrifice was literally every day. So for Passover, they had to push back the evening sacrifice to noon and then have the Passover sacrifice at 3. So they would have 3 on that day. That's the day Jesus died. So while the first lamb is being killed in the morning, Jesus was being hung on the cross. When the second lamb was being killed at noon, the sky went black. And then whenever the third lamb was killed, he said it is finished. So it was all paralleled. but the morning and evening sacrifice is really significant. Let me encourage you about this. There's two Greek words for time: T-I-M-e, time. The most common word was Chronos and it's where we get the word chronological and it's just simply Chronos time in the Bible is just your everyday you know regular time Just like there's two different Greek words for word W O R D there's the logos the logos is the written word the rhema is what God is speaking now okay there's a difference what was what was written but what is God speaking now Well, there's two different words for time. Kronos is just your everyday going through the motions time. But the other word, Kairos, is the fullness of time, the appointed time. When things reach their their fulfillment, their climax, it's time now for something supernatural to happen. An example of that, and I want to encourage you to be faithful in the Kronos time. You see, a lot of people going through the day in and day out you're building a house of God's presence you're out winning souls you're being faithful to make his house a house of prayer you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're just being faithful. That's Kronos time you're just being faithful. Everything God has spoken you to do you're just doing it and you're being faithful that's Kronos time every day the Jewish people Kronos time they would get up Kill the morning sacrifice, then they would do it at night. It's just going through the same. It seemed like they're going through the motions. You know. But there was times where it became the fullness of time. So Anna and what was her name? Anna and Simeon, who were in the temple and they were praying night and day for the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to them, to Simeon at least, that he would see the Lord. Don't you think about this? Anna. Was probably a woman that was elderly. She's already raised her kids. Probably her husband had died. And she was a widow. And she just literally devoted her time to going to the temple. And she prayed night and day. That's just what she did. Simeon, probably something similar. His kids were grown. And now he figures his sons, you guys take care of the family business. Okay? I'm going to go pray. So he goes to the temple and he's praying. But they were going through Kronos time every day, just being faithful to pray, faithful to pray. But there came a time, Kairos time, when it was the fullness of time, and God allowed Mary to give birth to Jesus. And then Mary and Joseph brought Jesus on the eighth day to the temple to be circumcised like he's supposed to be. He's a Jewish young man or baby. And so they brought him in and now the fullness of time Simeon and Anna were faithful in the Kronos the day in and day out praying and seeking God praying and seeking God, praying and seeking God but now it's the Kairos time the Son of God has come and Simeon was able to hold baby Jesus and look at him and weep and realize the Messiah has come I see with my eyes the Messiah has come the fullness of time there's times you got to be faithful in the chronos, but there's times that God there's a birthing and there's something significant and in those Kairos time it's like the chronos time is like the woman that's pregnant for nine months feet are sore okay weird cravings moodiness everything that goes along with it and She's having to carry that child and do what God has put in her to do. Okay, carrying that child. And it's the Kronos time. But when it's the birthing now, it is the Kairos time. And the thing about a Kairos moment is this. The Kairos time can be dangerous. Because when a woman is given birth, that woman's life, you know, it can be dangerous for the woman. It can be dangerous for the baby. It's a delicate time. And when you're in a Kairos time in your life, a lot of times it's a crossing the Jordan time. It's a very serious time. It's a time that you need to pray like never before. And God is probably going to have you down really interceding and really groaning and travailing because you're crossing the Jordan. You're going into something significant. You're going maybe into your destiny. You're, you're definitely moving into a new season in your life. It's serious. It's significant. Now, it's the fullness of time, the appointed time, to cross over into something new. That's a Kairos time. So, every day, the priest would have this Kronos time, the morning, evening sacrifice. But I want you to notice this there's something about the morning and evening sacrifice that is so powerful. You know, something that I felt led to do for years, and I never really saw this in the scriptures till later. But my wife will tell you, I always, you know, have my time of prayer in the morning, but I always felt that I needed to pray before I went to bed. As the head of the house. And I would always send her, you know, she'd go to bed before me. And I'd tell her I'd be up there in a few minutes and I would pray. A lot of times I felt led to to take the Lord's Supper and to pray just over the house, just a cleansing and sealing off and all that. And I didn't realize that In the scriptures, there was a morning and evening sacrifice. So in actual fact, without even meaning to, I was operating as a priest. There was the morning prayer and the night prayer. I believe the night prayer is important too because, you know, a lot of activity in the the spiritual warfare realm will happen at night. I'm just telling you. And the enemy tries to take advantage of the fact that you're asleep. And so just taking a few minutes to pray and get your home covered in the blood and sealed off, and just protect it and everything just the way it's supposed to be before you go to sleep. That's the evening sacrifice. So let me give you a quick synopsis of some things in scripture that happening it happened in either the morning or the evening sacrifice. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and preached at the time of the morning sacrifice. So a great in-gathering of what, 3,000 people got saved at the time of the morning sacrifice. First Kings 18 fire from God came down and burned up Elijah's sacrifice people turned to God at the time of the evening sacrifice now of all the times this could have happened and why would it happen at that time see it was a chronos time the priests are going through the same but it's like the fullness of time Peter got up and preached it, it was a kairos moment and it was no doubt connected to the t- because they would reference it in the Bible it was there for a reason they would say about the time of the morning sacrifice, this happened. Why are they even bringing that up? Because it's connected. Daniel nine twenty. When Daniel prayed, the angel came during the time of the evening sacrifice to him. Luke one five through eleven. Zechariah was serving the Lord, burning incense and offering a sacrifice at the evening sacrifice when the angel appeared to him about having a son who was John the Baptist. Acts ten one through four. Cornelius had an angelic visitation about the time of the evening sacrifice. In Acts 3, 1, a crippled man was healed about the time of the evening sacrifice. There's something about the morning and evening sacrifice that's significant. See, you think, well, I get up in the morning, I pray every day, I'm praying in the evening before I go to bed, that's Cronus time. You're just going through being faithful with what you know to do, but what you got to understand, there's going to be times where the Lord will really break something forth. I mean, it will be significant. Because you're being faithful in the Kronos the time of the morning and evening sacrifice. And then there will be a Kairos moment and something will break forth in the earth that's very significant and powerful. Are you getting this? Now, let me give you two more things. I'm going to close. Priest could not minister with scabs. Now why is that important? Priest could not minister with scabs because the Bible is showing us that we must deal with inner healing issues let me read you a couple things Leviticus 21 verse 16 the Lord said to Moses say to Aaron for the generations to come none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer food of his God so they couldn't come near come near is into his presence verse 18 says no man who has any defect may come near into the deeper realms of God's glory I added some of this in here as a just to help you understand. No man who is blind, that deals with spiritual blindness to us today. I put the parentheses in there to show you what it means to us now, okay? So just follow me. So number one, no man that has any defect may come near that's into the deeper realms of the glory. No man who is blind, that's spiritually blind, or lame, that means, you know what lame is? That means their walk isn't right before God. He knows that your walk not being right before God can hinder that, hinder you coming into the glory. It can't. Disfigured or deformed. That has to do with demonic influence remaining and it's not dealt with. It has deformed and disfigured their life. No man with a crippled hand or a crippled foot. Hands have to do with working evil and feet have to do with walking in unrighteousness. If your hands are, are, are evil before God, you're putting your hands forth to do evil things. And your feet is walking in evil before God. It will hinder you from getting into the glory. Or who is hunchback? That means that they are subservient to evil. Listen, hunchback is, for us as Christians today, symbolically, that they're weighed down. They've got some kind of yoke on them and they are subservient to something that's evil and it shouldn't be there. They need to get that off them as a Christian. Amen? They need to get it off. Jesus paid for it to get off, but yet they're walking with it, oppressing and holding them down. That can keep them out of the glory. God wants them in the glory, but these things can keep you out of the glory. Or a dwarf. This is small in the eyes of God because they are not living righteous and have little spiritual authority or power. There was a scripture in the Bible, and I can't remember the two people that were referenced, but it might have been Moses and Samuel. But God was angry, and he said, If even Moses and Samuel stood before me, I still wouldn't do it. Why did God say that? I think it was Moses and Samuel. It was two people like that. Why did he say that? Because they had stature before God. They had stature. When they talked to God, God listened to them. They had some authority about it. So a dwarf is somebody that is small in that authority. It's small because they haven't proven themselves to be somebody with stature. What does it say about Jesus? It says he grew in stature before God and man, did it not? Or who has an eye defect. You know what an eye defect is? Looking with lust. They have an issue with lust. They haven't conquered that. They've got a wandering eye, a lustful eye, that will keep you out of the Glory or who has a festering or running sore. You know what that is? Iniquity drives that aren't dealt with. See, Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. A bruise you bleed on the inside. What is iniquity? Iniquity is a a, a bent, crooked character defect. It's something on the inside that is bent toward evil. And an iniquity drive can be inherited but it's from repetitious sin. Now, there's something bent on the inside that is driving them into evil. And that I'm talking about symbolically here metaphorically it's saying iniquity drives represent that festering or running sore it's got to be dealt with those iniquity drives have got to be dealt with or damaged testicles which is unfruitfulness it's something where somebody has the inability to reproduce we've got to be bearing fruit for the kingdom this is serious with God you remember when Jesus told the parable and he said that the man had a tree and it was not bearing fruit and the owner got angry and said, cut it down. And the servant said, no, my Lord, give it another year. Let me till around it. I'll add fertilizer. Let me let me doctor this thing. Just give it another year. But the owner said, all right, I'll give it one more year. And it's getting cut down. This business of bearing fruit before the Lord is a lot more serious than what people realize. He's serious about it. That's why I'm so proud of you guys that go out straight evangelizing. You know, Reverend Anthony or... You know, with my mother out of a touching hearts. You guys, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. We're bearing fruit. We're seeing souls saved. My wife going and giving her testimony. You know, whether it be with the Gideons or in prisons or whatever. Seeing all these people saved. We're, we're bearing fruit. The Lord is looking for fruit. David Hogan made me laugh. He said, when Jesus came to the, to the fig tree and there was no figs, he cursed the tree. And he said, if Jesus comes to you, if the king comes to you looking for fruit, you better come up with some fruit. He said, you better squeeze it out. Let it pop out of you. You better come up with some fruit. So no descendant of Aaron or priest who had any defect could come near to present the food offerings before the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near. So the Lord is saying as priest, we've got to let these things be dealt with in our lives. If you've got an issue with your eye, let's get it dealt with. If you've got an issue in your life where you've been struggling or you're in bondage, you've got some some issues that need to be dealt with, then instead of justifying it or instead of trying to explain it away or all the things people tend to do, go to the cross. Go to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I have this issue. Let's get it dealt with and cleansed out of my life so that I can come into the deeper realms of the glory and bear fruit for your kingdom and be everything that you want me to be. Cut it off. Whatever needs to go. Whatever needs to go. Remember during the Brownsville revival, over and over, I'd hear Lindell. He just had such a heart for God. Over and over, you'd hear him, Lord, if there's anything, just show me. I'll repent, Lord. Show me anything i got to deal with. And he was up there on the platform, but he had such a heart, he wanted to go deeper. That's humility. Let me give you a vision, a prophetic vision here. There's a a book called The Journal of an Unknown Prophet. It's a good book. And this is a passage out of it. I want to show you why is it such a big deal that we deal with all these inner healing issues and this stuff that's holding you back. Why is it such a big deal? I'll show you right now. This woman of God was caught up in a vision and she said it suddenly, it was as though a heavy, heavenly veil had been drawn back in the spirit realm and she had a vision she said the lord showed me i saw satanic princes principalities and powers and their battle dress standing in their chariots directing the great mass of hellish battalions of powers and principalities and they were standing as a great and seemingly fearsome mass in a line that stretched to eternity waiting And then there was a great shofar that was sounded. How many knows the devil counterfeits things? He never comes up with something original. Why couldn't he come up with his own horn? You know what I'm saying? He can't even do that. I'm serious. He can't even come up with his own horn. He's got to counterfeit it. All right. This satanic shofar was sounded, and the fallen satanic princes in general took their places in front of the battalions as the great rumbling of Satan's chariots thundered. And all as one, they bowed their heads as the prince of darkness made his entrance. And as he stood there, all terrible, in his damnable arrogance and rebellion, he lifted up his sword high to the heavenlies again. And as one man I saw, the princes and the battalions follow suit, they all held their swords up, and I heard Lucifer's spine-tingling cry, he said, it is time. And the hordes of hell resounded with a great terrible cry, it is time. And as Lucifer turned to his fallen princes, I could hear his malicious hiss, it is time to target the champions. And Jesus is speaking now to this prophet, this woman. He said, the targeting of the champions, my father's champions here on earth, the host of hell have been assigned for the past decades, waiting for this hellish moment in the spirit realm, listening to the release of my end time move from heaven. I mean, knows that we're moving into the last days and there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's a great harvest coming in. But the Bible said, woe to the earth because Satan has come down to you. He knows his time is short. There's some major spiritual warfare that's going on. And he said these satanic beings have heard the mighty rush of my holy angels. So in turn they have unleashed the most violent satanic assault the earth has seen since the the days of my birth when Satan's wrath was unleashed through Herod against the babes in arms in a huge murderous onslaught. This happened in the days of Moses too. Satan knows when something big is about to happen. Whenever Moses was brought forth in the earth, Satan stirred up Pharaoh to throw all those Jewish babies in the Nile to be eaten by crocodiles. But God spared Moses. When Jesus was born, what happened? Satan incited Herod to have all those babies there in Jerusalem slaughtered, all the the young boys trying to kill the Messiah. But Joseph had already had a vision. The angel told him, get out of here, go to Egypt. So Satan knows when something significant is about to happen. And it goes on to say, The Father knows that these champions are the ones who will lean their minds and hearts unquestionably on his being. Those who limp with the scars of his chastening and of their own inadequacy. Those who know that within themselves there's no good thing except their hope in him. These are his champions. These are the prime targets for the onslaught of the enemy that you have just seen. The major end time assaults are divided into several camps. They are all ruthless strategies of Jezebel, the ultimate seducer and releaser of the end-time seducing spirits. The first major seduction of my children will be in the area of morality, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. But the seduction is not just confined to my children's morality. Satan's primary goal is to seduce my children away from the Father. One of Satan's most lethal weapons against my ministers is another of Jezebel's strongholds, the pride of life. That's what I was talking about earlier. You better stay humble, friend. Pride and self-righteousness. Jezebel's third great onslaught will be in the area of discouragement. There's people that have felt unnaturally discouraged. It's supernatural. You need to shake that off. You need to bind that and get that off you. Okay, that's heaviness. It's of the devil. Remember Elijah when he faced that Jezebel spirit? Elijah being a great man of God still when there's some depression went under a tree in the desert and wanted to die if that can happen to Elijah that can happen to anybody and you got to break that off of you this is the same weapon used against my servant Elijah and indeed many of my servants throughout the ages great discouragement in turn leading to strong delusion and finally that of great blinding. In this last generation, this is what I was getting to. Many, Jesus was saying, many came to us from the greatest ensnarements and bondages. Once they saw our great love for them, they became our greatest champions and bond servants. For their gratitude for receiving such a redemption was unfathomable. These are the ones who have become close and tender with me, who will follow me unto the death. The prophet speaks to Jesus and says, but if they will follow you to the death, Lord Jesus, and they hear your voice, then how could they fall to seducing spirits? And Jesus answered her and said, This is it. Every weakness that these ones experience in their lives, his expression was so grave. Every fissure, every wound, every broken place that lies unhealed, these satanic powers and principalities and demons will target those areas. Many of my children did not receive the healing of their minds, their emotions. Their souls in this last generation, because they have lived in the household of God for many years, they do not even realize that these places exist. This is concerning, isn't it? These days, these last days, assignments have been meticulously strategized, and that is the very strength of their evil. They have been tailor-made to each of my champions. Is Satan? He, I'm telling you, these things. He roams like a roaring lion, but there's there's spirits that are assigned to people, and they strategize against that person based on their weakness it's a tailor-made and so jesus said these satanic forces know the urgent driving unmet needs of the soul the generational bondages of each individual called to uh, by me to impact this generation the lack of nurturing they didn't have the loving spiritual parents they needed the deep unhealed rejections the hurts of the emotions the fatherlessness the need for affirmation the desire to belong the deep isolations All of which, when not met in me, Jesus says, it's not met in him, they have now laid the perfect snare for the assignments of the enemy. Everything's got to come to Jesus. It's got to be laid on the cross. There's got to be healing. And Jesus went on to say, some of my champions have experienced a violent, satanic assailing against their minds. Any thought not taken captive shall be a thought that can take violent root in their soul and lead to an ensnarement. We've got to take our thoughts captive. Don't entertain evil thoughts. Throw them out. Anything from their past that has not been dealt with, or that, I'm sorry, that has been dealt with by their own strength and not by my spirit, shall become a snare to them. You cannot try to conquer these things in your own strength. You have got to let the power of the Holy Spirit deal with them. You cannot do this on your own. You think you got it under control, and then the devil shows up, and it's like, what happened? But if it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will arise within you and give you supernatural strength to overcome. But it's the grace. That's why it's so important to humble yourself. Because grace comes to the humble. So if you're humble, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you. He will arise from within you and give you great strength to overcome. But whenever people are prideful, they fall. Any habit not ruthlessly dealt with and put to the cross, when assigned with the searing heat of temptation, will breed and rapidly multiply. Jesus continued, In this present age, I'm sorry, in this past age, Jezebel has translated itself into many forms, but one of her primary rules in this present age is her amalgamation with Babylon, the spirit of the world, and lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jezebel rules over electronic media, film, television, advertising. She is the epitome of seduction in the last age. You need to know something about these things. it okay I talked just a little bit off the cuff about this, but listen, when you're dealing with these last day spirits, this isn't in the notes, but if you want to just jot down a few real quick things. Number one, a lot of times the forerunner is a Jezebel spirit. And the reason why is because it's trying to seduce people into sin. It will try to seduce people into the occult. It tries to seduce people into other religions. It tries to seduce people sexually in a sexual sense. But it's a seducing spirit. And you need to do, if you haven't read a good book on Jezebel, I encourage you to do it. I've written one. You can read mine or you can buy others. John Paul Jackson has a great book on the Jezebel spirit. But I'm just telling you that we need to know about this because this spirit is dangerous. It's very dangerous. It tries to slither into in churches. And will use people to to rebel against leadership, undermine authority, control, manipulate. Very serious. And the Jezebel spirit preys on um, issues of unhealed wounds in people. A lot of the women that deal with the Jezebel spirit have, in one way or another, been wounded in life. They have major fear issues. They have major um, insecurity issues. They've been hurt maybe by men, or they think they have, or whatever. Whatever it is, it's some kind of unhealed issue within them. And that Jezebel spirit taps into that wound. And next thing you know, they're, they're a troublemaker. That's why it's so important. Priests cannot minister with scabs. You've got to get this stuff healed because it's a door. And the Leviathan spirit is operates through the prideful. You think Jezebel's bad, you wait till Leviathan shows up. Leviathan is a very powerful spirit. It's not something to be trifled with. And what will happen is, I'll try to explain this as best I can about these end time issues, but Leviathan will operate through the prideful. Pretty soon, they've gotten really too big for their britches. And they know more than the pastor. They know more than the youth leader. They know more than the elders. They, they think very highly of themselves. And now they're critical and they could do a better job. They're arrogant. And they are the ones, when the devil shows up to destroy a church, he will look for a prideful man or a prideful woman. And if he can find an arrogant person, he knows I can use that person. And pretty soon they've risen up in rebellion And they'll try everything within their power to split a church. That's what Leviathan will do. Leviathan comes in and sweeps his tail through a church and tries to completely destroy that church. I mean completely destroy it. And he uses arrogant people that will lead rebellions against the pastor. You cannot be blessed of God in rebellion. You cannot be blessed of God in arrogance and pride. You've got to humble yourself and learn how to function under authority. That's just the way it is. Everybody has some kind of an authority over And then there's Baal. Okay, so I talk about Baal real quick. These are the three end time world ruling spirits. You have demons that, that operate person to person. You have powers. Powers carry out the act the carry out the strategies of a principality, but powers mess with people's heads. They go through and they try to mess with people's thoughts. Principalities rule over regions. Principality comes from the word archae in the Greek where we get architect. They're over a geographic area and they try to strategize against the churches that are there. Okay, And then you have world ruling spirits. World ruling spirits are like Baal, Leviathan, Jezebel, and others like that. They blanket the whole world with their influence. All of it. Everywhere. And so what you see, let me give you a quick breakdown of this. Baal was worshipped all through the ages. Baal is a, like a counterfeit husband or father or like a counterfeit to Father God. It's a counterfeit provider in the Bible. That's what they were worshipping. That's why God shut up the rain. Because he was saying, quit praying to Baal for rain. Okay, He's not your provider, I am. But what Baal does, Baal tries to stop, if you're going to write anything down, write this. Baal tries to stop the promises of God from flowing in your life. Number one. And number, tr- uh, number two, tries to control the flow of wealth throughout the earth. You ever noticed? And I'm not, you guys know me. I mean, some people have never heard me preach. You know, how often have you heard me even talk about money? I'm not like that. I'm going to tell you, though, the kingdom of God does need finances to get the job done, and Baal tries to stop it. I'm just saying. You don't hear about the NFL struggling for money. You don't hear about these businesses struggling for money. You don't hear about the world struggling for money. But then you look at churches and they're talking about, you know, a garage sale and bacon brownies. I'm just saying. And I believe the Lord in these last days is wanting us to be able to be able to handle some stuff to get in these millions of people to get saved. They're supposed to get saved. Amen. Not wearing a Rolex and driving, you know, some fancy car and all that garbage. We ain't got time for that. All right. All right. But Baal, is. this is serious business. Baal is also Baphomet or the God of Mendes. This is the spirit that rules over Freemasonry, and it is the spirit that will come up. When that, Revelation 13 says the beast comes out of the earth, it's the false prophet, I believe that it's Baal, the spirit of Baal. The spirit of Baal or Baphomet is a spirit that oversees the worship. I'm talking about any idolatry, Um, the sacrificial system, all these satanic evil things that are out there, Baal or Baphomet rules over that, oversees all that counterfeit worship. And what he's going to do is, one day there's going to be a false prophet and this spirit of Baal, this Baphomet spirit is going to come into his life and he is going to be some kind of a master, like um, warlock or whatever. And what is he going to do? He's going to try to get the people of the world to worship the Antichrist and to what? Worship his image, that idol. And you see him with the transference of wealth. Why? is he's going to force people to take a mark either on their right hand or forehead. And if they don't, what? They won't be able to buy or sell. You see, what, see where I'm going with this? This is an end time thing. It's serious. This is a powerful spirit. And I'm going to tell you real quick how to make sure that you're free from its influence. But then you also have Leviathan's arrogance. He is going to be the spirit that literally just fills and wraps around the Antichrist. And then you have the Jezebel spirit, which operates as a seducing spirit, trying to seduce people into sin, the occult, all that garbage, trying to pull people into the world. How many people are you seeing? The Bible says in the last days there would be a great falling away. How many people have you seen in your lifetime, just in the last couple of years, and you know what I'm talking about, that have been seduced away from Jesus and now they're off in the world? That's the Jezebel spirit seducing them out of the kingdom. The allure of the world. You see how these work together? You have the Jezebel spirit seducing people into sin and then you have... Leviathan, that's going to cause those people that are in sin now to look to him. He's all arrogant. And you have Baal that's going to cause the false prophet to come up. And all of this is, is paving a way for these end time prophecies to be fulfilled. So without getting real deep in this, but how, how do we make sure that we're totally free from Baal? And I need to just make this quick. But let me just tell you a couple things. The Bible says in Jeremiah 54:44, God said, I will punish and execute judgment upon Baal, the God in Babylon, and take out of his mouth what he has swallowed up. You guys felt like maybe some things have been swallowed up over the years, like stolen? The nations will not flow anymore to him. Yes, the wall of Babylon has fallen. The Lord promises he's going to deal with Baal. How many want God to deal with Baal in your life? 100%. Do you feel like that there's promises of God that aren't really flowing the way they should be? Do you feel like that there's some kind of a stubborn resistance? Maybe there's something in the way of even a transference of finances that should be in your life. I mean, you need it, and you just feel there's something there. There's something that's that's trying to confine, contain, and hold back the fullness of the promises of God. Micah 2.13 says, The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate and go out by it so their king goes on before them. How many would like the Lord to break through that? To go before you and just break all that open. All right. David called the Lord Baal Perizim in a positive way, referring to the Lord that breaks through. So here's some things just to consider. I deal with a lot more in my Seductions of Satan series. That's real thorough. But just a couple quick things. A lot of Christians in America don't realize this, but have you considered that some of our holidays may not exactly be what you really want them to be and your participation isn't exactly? Number one would be Halloween. Okay? Halloween is 100% from top to bottom, inside and out, through and through, just a satanic holiday. Okay? There's nothing about it that's positive. So. Why? Why are Christians participating? I'm not condemning anybody. I'm saying if you've done this, if I were you, I would stop doing it, and ask forgiveness. But, but why? It's the witches' holiday. It's a pagan holiday. It's, it's, it's Satanist believe it's Satan's birthday, whatever that is. And they, and the witches, you know, they look at it as their turn of the year. So the two big holidays for the witches is Halloween, and, and Beltane. It's it's May Day, May first. Those are the two big ones. Okay. And it's interesting. That Christians are celebrating Halloween. And let me just encourage you about a few other things. Look into this for yourself. I want you to look into it for yourself. Those that are going to watch this, look into it for yourself and you'll find what I'm telling you is the truth. Why is Easter have to do with jesus's death, burial, and resurrection? Why in the world are there eggs and bunnies and all that stuff? You ever wondered about that? Where did the Easter bunny come from? I mean, that's so stupid. Well, If you look at it, even the word Easter comes from Ishtar, which was a demon god. Look it up for yourself. You you will say, Pastor Scott's right. If some people are going to listen to this and go, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Trust me. When you look it up, you'll see. Ishtar is a demon god. And Ishtar has to do with fertility, those eggs and the bunny. That's all about this. It's a fertility god. And the bunny and the eggs had to do with that. You know where this came from? It came from the Catholic Church. Who wanted to take all the pagan holidays and bring them together with Christianity and blend it all together? That's where it all comes from. Even some other holidays and things that people are doing, just look into these holidays and see for yourself if there's things that really truthfully you should not be doing. You know, And with a good conscience, as a pastor with a clear conscience, I, I'm not going to have all these eggs and garbage for our kids at the church. I'm not going to do it some people probably will get you know, an attitude they can go somewhere else and do that if they want to but I'm not going to do it why? because the death, burial and resurrection should be the focus on Easter Amen. Yes. and kids really don't care I remember hearing one mom say well you know, somebody was griping to her saying well they're missing out on all the candy and she's like I'll go to the dollar store and buy them the biggest bag of candy I can find and give them candy who cares about that if it's just about candy but you'll notice when you talk like this it stirs something up in people What is it that they're getting so mad about? Why are they so defensive about a stupid, hard-boiled egg? What about that is stirring them up? Seriously. It makes you realize how spiritual it is. Also, sexual sins. Sexual sins are dead serious, friend. You pollute your body. You unite yourself with things. And even back in the worship of Baal, they would have the temple... And there would be male and female prostitutes, and so people would be watching as they would go have sex acts publicly in view. It was pornography of that time. And so through pornography, the people were coming in deeper bondage to Baal. And I'm saying about pornography, but it's all forms of sexual sin. Sexual sin of any kind is allowing Baal into your life which is stopping the full flow of the blessings and the promises that God has for you. The next thing is abortion or shedding innocent blood. The the people of Israel whenever they started backsliding and they would turn to other gods, they would do the things like worship to Molech, and Molech was a demon god that was worshiped by the Canaanites that you sacrificed your children to it. The Bible talked about passing your sons and daughters through the fire. It was human sacrifice to this demon God. And abortions is no different. It's really not. It's the same thing. The government may sanction it, but it is murder in God's eyes. And not only is it murder, it's shedding innocent blood. Okay, it's shedding innocent blood. And number three, it is putting people that participated in it in great bondage to like a spirit of death and murder and other things. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's concerning because the Bible says there were sins that would cause the land to vomit out its inhabitants. You can read about this in the book of Leviticus. Look it up. And it had to do with witchcraft and the occult. It had to do with sexual sins, specifically homosexuality. And number three, it had to do with shedding innocent blood. What are you seeing in our nation right now? Now, I believe there's a great revival coming. I'm not one of those gloom and doom, but... But at the same time, there needs to be some serious repentance. And the only way there's going to be repentance is not by having another political figure that claims to be a Christian, and I pray to God we get all kinds of Christians up there, but that's not going to fix it. It's got to be in the hearts of people. People's got to repent in their own heart. Another thing is marking the body. Now all of a sudden it's the cool thing. Everybody wants to cut, pierce, tattoo, mark themselves up real good. Well, in the Old Testament times, and even into today, marking the body has to do with the occult. It always has. It always has to do that. You Look at it for yourself and look into it. Just a common sense questions. Do the tattoo parlors look like a godly place where the Holy Ghost dwells? And think about this. What about all the other pagan religions out there? They will mark I just saw a testimony of a guy that got saved as a voodoo priest or whatever out of, I think, Haiti, maybe a part of Africa. He accepted Jesus Christ, and they, for his initiation, what did they do? They mark him. They, they had cut on his face these marks that connected him to this demon god. There was a Buddhist monk that had gotten saved in the Brownsville revival, was telling Pastor Kilpatrick, this tattoo gave me power to do this. This tattoo gave me power for this. So the cutting, the marking... The the implants, um, the tattoos, all that stuff is connected to other gods. It's not something that God sanctions. There's people out there that don't like that. They'll say I'm being religious and they're going to go off and put a tattoo from the top of their head to their big toe. That's fine. That's between them and God. But I guarantee you that they have some spiritual issues in their life that's not from God. I guarantee it. But they won't listen. Freemasonry. Don't have to go too much in this. All of it. From the initiation on, it's satanic. And people that participate are yoking themselves to demon gods like Baal, and uh, which is Baphomet. But anyway, the occult and idolatry, any form of the occult or idolatry is allowing the influence of Baal. And this is what I wanted to end with. Ties, yokes, and ensnarements. In different ways, people without intentionally doing so, whether it's from being sexually active in their past, Through idols. Through involvement in satanic things. Through involvement in other religions. Different ways. Having hands laid on them from the wrong people. However it came. They have different ties and yokes. And entanglements spiritually. They've entangled themselves with things. It's like I heard a story. This is another story from from David Hogan. He was talking about. There was a young man that died and was caught in a whirlpool in um, Mexico. And he had to dive in and get him out. And he said it was scary because there was these trees that were around this whirlpool that their branches were very long and they were going down into the whirlpool. And he said that water would suck him around and he would hit those branches and they would just wrap him up like that. And he's underwater holding his breath, breaking these branches off. But he had to get the kid out. And he's the only one that could swim that well to do it. Anyway, my point is, all the things you got to do as a preacher. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. So, anyway, so all these, these snares and entanglements are things that people have come around that have ensnared or entangled them and wrapped them up, and they don't realize it. Old relationships, old sexual promiscuity things that they were involved in times past they, they messed around with the occult they got involved in other religions whatever it is and it's something has tied around them soul ties form and now they don't understand it but it really it's it's a connection with Baal as well but it's like that the promises of god divine health prospering walking in victory having peace It seems like the flow of the promises of God are not where they need to be. And I believe that God is wanting to deal with some of those things and break some people free tonight. I believe that tonight. So what about these inner healing issues? Number one, we've got to forgive other people. In times past, whenever you got hurt, you probably didn't forgive like you should. And therefore, it it allowed something in your life that didn't need to be there. When people get hurt, a lot of times, what do they do? They turn, instead of to the Lord, they turn to something else. Now, they're wounded in life, so now they become sexually active, trying to get that fulfillment of love. You see what I'm saying? But a lot of people do this. They get sexually active because they're looking for intimacy and love and closeness because they've been hurt, maybe hurt by parents. parent. Or they will turn, instead of turning to Jesus, they'll turn to what? They'll turn to drugs and alcohol. Why? Because it brings an altered reality. It's some kind of an, an escape. And it may not be as serious as like illegal street drugs, but yet they will turn to obsessive things like watching movies all the time television all the time and they're trying to escape reality because they hate reality and they're trying to escape it they turn to cutting themselves you see where I'm going with this instead of turning to Jesus and just letting him heal the wound now they're turning to other things that they're trying to fill that void it's a substitute and it's not going to work and not only that but a lot of times people get hurt and they go into some kind of depression Suicide and isolation. If you'll be honest with yourself, has there been times in your past that you went through some deep, dark place and instead of getting intimate with the Lord and letting Him heal you, you did do some of these things I'm talking about? Also, people will deal with, once they've been wounded, they will now begin to deal with issues of fear and having to be in control. Which opens them up to things like a Jezebel spirit. Because now they're afraid and they got to control everybody around them. Be in control of every situation. they got to be in control of everything. But now they're fearful. And fear is a horrible bondage. Or they've been wounded, so now they got a chip on their shoulder. And now they turn prideful and critical toward other people you see where I'm going with this? Instead of dealing, letting the Lord deal with this stuff, it distorts who they are and they come through it instead of being healed, they come through it now there's a darkness there. There's an anger there. There's a bitterness there. There's a fear. There's an inability to, to be close to people. They deal with unhealthy insecurities that can, that can become breeding ground for pride. Some people that are most arrogant people at one time They were actually very insecure. They were very insecure. But instead of, that's a false humility, instead of letting the Lord heal those insecurities, now pride feels so good to them. It gives them some kind of an exhilaration. And ultimately, there's usually a lot of health problems connected with these wounds. So that's why it's such a big deal that priests do not minister with scabs. God has got to deal with these issues in people. He's got to bring healing, and He's got to bring cleansing. You guys want to pray about this tonight and break some of this stuff? All right. I can lead you guys in a prayer. Let's leave the recordings going for a second. Those that are listening to this, watching this, if you want to pray with us, I'll lead you guys in a prayer. And deal with anything that goes back to Baal, and then I'm going to go with anything that goes back to inner healing issues two different things, okay? So everybody just pray this out loud. Jesus, you are my source. You are my, source. You are my, healer, you are my healer, my deliverer. My deliverer. Your, blood Your blood is what makes me holy. Forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord for any connection with Baal. Through holidays, Through holidays that, were not of you. that were not of you, I renounce those things. I renounce those things. All, sexual sins. All sexual sins. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. I repent. I repent. Any, abortions. Any abortions. Marking the body. Marking the body. Freemasonry. Free the occult. The occult. Idolatry. Idolatry. I repent. I, repent. I renounce I these things. I renounce And forgive me, Lord, when I went through difficult times for having unforgiveness. Forgive me for turning to idols, whether it was sexual, drugs, alcohol, depression. Forgive me, Lord, for dealing with fear and allowing that in my life or pride Pride. I humble myself myself. wash me in your blood blood. I want to be cleansed and healed healed. and delivered so that I can be a true priest so So Lord I forgive others and forgive me Lord for this stuff in my life that that hasn't been right wash me in your blood Set me free. I humble myself now and ask you for the grace to repent of everything I need to. To overcome all weaknesses. To be free from every bondage. To be sanctified and to be healed from all inner healing issues i thank you for it now in jesus mighty name and y'all just stay just as you are and, and, and lift up your hands father we begin to pray together you would pray in tongues let's let the holy spirit come have his way father i thank you right now there's a breakthrough in the house let your sword be brandished and begin to move over the audience and over those that are listening and watching. People may be listening to this or watching this years from now. But Father, I am ask you, let the sword of the Lord be drawn right now. And Father, as everybody is praying in the spirit, we bind every strong man. Everything that's trying to hold people back and hinder people, bondages, yokes, addictions, curses, Father, we break it right now off every life. There it is. We break it. Lift. It goes now. Break through. Every strong man that's been trying to hold people back from inner healing, I bind you. Go! Right now in Jesus' name, release. We break every tie. Lord, I ask you right now that every tie be severed. In Jesus' name, every tie be severed. Let your angels be released, Lord, right now. To deal with things we can't see. And clean And just drive out clean house. I ask you, Father, let your precious Holy Spirit come. And let there be a power to bring breakthrough. Let there be a fire to burn out what needs to go. Father, we ask forgiveness. If there's been any carnality, worldliness, temptations, Lord, that people have give, given into you, Lord, forgive us, wash us in your blood. To be a breakthrough tonight. While y'all are praying, some of you, if you feel like that there's been a, a carnality, there's there's been like lust of the flesh, confess that real quick right now. If there's been areas of worldliness, you feel like you've been worldly and you've been acting like the world, living like the world, ask God's forgiveness. If there's unforgiveness in your life that you hold against somebody, right now, pray about it. If you have a, a parent that's wounded you, if you have you know, some kind of a, a brother, sister, family member, neighbor, co-worker that's hurt you, you need to forgive them right now. Let it go. Don't let it destroy you. That's it. That's it. Just pray about it. Brother Zach, can we go ahead and put on some worship and we can shut down recordings? I'm just, from this point, going to pray with people, but if you're listening to this, just give it to the Lord right now. Just give it to Him and let Him deliver you. Father, every person that's listening or watching, let your anointing come in. Let your angels be released. Let there be a shift and breakthrough in every line for those that are watching and listening to this. Bring a breakthrough. In Jesus' mighty name, bring a breakthrough.